Mr. Dill, Mr. Dustin, and my daddy Manny welcome you in from the nosebleeds. The music is so loud. Is it? I can't hear myself. I can hear you. You can hear me. I can't hear myself. But welcome to the Nosebleeds. And Manny was asking me. Manny was asking me why it's so quiet. Why would I do it? I can't hear a thing. I can hear myself. You can't hear me either? No. And Seth is looking at us like we're a bunch Seth, of dumbasses. Seth, you hear anything? I hear the music out of here. I can hear you. I can hear you. And that's it. I can hear you. I, I don't think I can hear Dell. We should just do a show where we can't hear anybody. I can hear y'all, and we're getting we're getting <laughs> levels. I can hear Dustin, you, and the music, and I can hear myself slightly now. So I guess just turn me up is more. I can hear myself. A bit, but uh, welcome in. We'll get it figured out. Manny's uh, working on it right now, and uh, that voice you heard is the largest man to ever be in this. There you go, the largest man to ever be in really this house. To be honest with you, uh, <laughs> yeah, Seth, that's true. Seth Payne joins us not just in this little alcove that we call a studio, but Seth Payne's here from Sports Radio Six Ten. Uh, he and Mike Meltzer do a show every morning. If you're not aware, so I don't. I'm not one of those guys who don't tune in. I mean, he doesn't actually conflict with our show. Well. For an hour, right? Nine. To, you go. You guys go six to. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because we, we go six to ten. Six ten for There's an hour. An overlap there. Yes, yeah. tune in from six to nine. They don't care about the last hour of the show. They don't care. Then tune over to ninety seven five. But <laughs> Seth Payne joins us uh, as we continue to get things figured out. But I uh, welcome in, man. We appreciate it. Um, I have you called into the show before? To uh, yeah, I called in a couple of years ago. I can remember telling some story about. I was telling some. I, I remember telling a story about Jeff Logman breaking a guy's finger. Uh, after a play, which yep. was kind of like that Clemson kid that, that, that grabbed the running back's groin. There you go. Uh, in you a know, more violent way. And you know what's funny? The ACC had that issue th- throughout bowl season. Like, I think Wilkins did it for Clemson. Then if you watch Matt Thomas when Jake Butt got hurt yeah. against Michigan, they came back from a break and showed the replay of Jake Butt writhing on the ground. And Matthew Thomas is casually stroking his butt back with the backhand and the forehand and it's just this weird thing and it's like I don't know he was I don't know he felt awkward trying to get up off of him but it was like this hand motion on his butt and eventually got up but I don't know what the kids are into today Dell. I don't know what what they're comfortable with what what the what the social mores are but I guess I'm not going to judge because yeah. I don't because I, I don't want to be a think piece on slate yeah, ACC, <laughs> the, the ACC, we think differently. I think it's what I think what their slogan is. But uh, yeah, that was that was bowl season, at least part of bowl season. But um, we are. Man, no. he wants me to move. He wants me to flip the mic. You want me to flip oh! the mic? There we go. Hey, look at that. That's your back. 
Well, we're just going to blame front. Seth for all of this because usually That's I don't talk this way. Because he's um, the tallest guy in the room. And yeah. why not? Which is, I can switch with you if you want. No, this is a really cool studio. I'm enjoying it in here. It's a little, it's a, there's all these different Houston sports items. You've got lighting. This isn't bad, man. You're apologizing for how small it is, but I, I actually like it. Makes that was my Christmas gift that year. You know, recognize that guy? Who's that? Slate? That's Slayton? Steve Slayton, yeah. 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 You got you got Andre Johnson up there, the yeah. recently retired, and there's recently big, brought back into the fold, Andre Johnson. Yeah, the rocket thing is the biggest oddity to me. There's a well, he loves Scola for whatever. He thinks Scola was yeah. going to be the difference between the, the Pacers and the Heat when they were both good, uh, when Scola joined them. <laughs> and then there's an Aaron Brooks thing. So it's you got icons for well, not Slayton. I'll take it back. Uh, you've got Andre. You've got don't you have Nolan Ryan Oswald, behind me, uh, Oswald and Berkman. Then the rocket wall is, wall is lacking. I'm not gonna lie. It, it's where's Brooks, Hakeem? Brooks and Brooks and Scola are your two. You're a man of the '90s championships yeah, like myself, yeah. and you've got nothing. Dream is downstairs in my bedroom above my bed. That's frightening. You have a seven foot. You have a seven foot Nigerian man in your bedroom at all times. <laughs> Whoa! Hey. It's the full size fat head of Dream, right above my bed. Blasted on the wall. Yeah, he watches Overlooking over you us. and Angela. Yes. Huh? Oh, okay. He watches over Angela. And I. In the nineties, he was basketball god here. So he was. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, I wouldn't do it, but I understand it. Um, I guess. Uh, but like I said, uh, first show. After the new year, we've all gone places. I know I went to California. Manny went to Mississippi. Dustin, did you go anywhere? No, I stayed here because, you know, kids. Yeah, and Seth, did you? I know you guys were doing shows. Did you do anything? We were doing shows. I took like a two-day trip up to upstate New York to Buffalo, okay. which, was just, mm. which is exotic and thrilling. And I got the hell back <laughs> here for, for the Bengals, so, which was exotic and thrilling itself. You uh, know, Angela, and, Angela won't go to that part of the country I've asked many times to the Northeast, even in the summer. I'm like, can we just go to that part of the country? Oh, yeah. You know, and I want to see that part of the country because my cousin went and I think they went to Maine Mm -hmm. and they went and well watched where you could. I mean, the wells were like right there by the boat. And I mean, it was amazing. And she just she thinks it's too cold up there. Oh no! Like you, always, she goes in the oh, summer. No, she'd in love summertime, it. man, it's, it's beautiful in the summer. You got you've, uh, there's hills, there's mountains, there's there's lakes, there's all that man, stuff. And I want to go up there. It's comfortable. It. You know what the nice thing up there is? It'll get up to like eighty or ninety during the day, but it always cools down into the fifties or sixties at night. So nice. it's always said about campfire. Yeah. Oh, she'll love you for it. It'll be the most romantic trip you ever take. Well, take her up to the we Finger have two Lakes. Kids. You I'll, met him. I'll hook you up with a, a place Sweet. to go. Yeah, up speaking there. of your child, Joseph, uh, as soon as I walked in, he goes, You're late. I was like, <laughs> I mean, you're not waiting on me. What are you doing? You're throwing a ball around. What do you care? What do you care how late I am? It's a, it was an odd thing. He's never done that before. I was like, I'm like, I'm about two minutes late. Thank you. And that's every Tuesday and Friday, Seth. When the kids get home from school, they say, Are you doing a podcast tonight? Because they've gotten so used to Dell and Dustin coming over. It's actually something they look forward to. And they know that they can stay up a little later than normal. Oh, yeah. So who gets to answer the door and who gets to stay up later? Well, that's the number one rule of podcasting that people don't follow is that they don't get any kind of consistency, which you've done. You've been you've been consistent with it for a long time. You build an audience and people just expect it. Yeah. And that's a big ups to Dell, you know, um, and Dustin came along here. Dustin came along probably about halfway between when we started and where we're at now. Uh And and it's just so cool because, I mean. Like I, like I was telling you earlier, they're so flexible. It's like, hey, man, let's do a podcast tonight. We haven't done one in a while. Okay. You know, and it, it's it's kind flexible, of a luxury. No I have. life, whatever, yeah. whatever, however you want to describe it. <laughs> well, how long do you Trying how to long escape the kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, we usually, our normal schedule is every Tuesday and Friday. Right. Um, but my shift work, like I was telling you, you know, every twice a month I work a night on Tuesday and a night on Friday. Yeah. So those two nights, I mean, obviously we can't do it. Yeah. Um, 
but we I mean we've stayed pretty consistent throughout the year and yeah we're at what going almost year almost three years now or we're over it'll be three start years. of four years yeah. in April yeah almost four yeah. years consistent this is show 279 279 no kidding yeah because you did one i think when i was first back in town you actually came in and did one didn't you do a show like a simulcast with josh uh actually josh had me in studio yeah that's right and did you actually record your podcast while you're on with him he just had you in studio yeah he just had interviewing you yeah and you you can't you kind of you grilled him a little bit i I was i was it was it was actually early on i think i would say like in the first six months that we started yeah and that's when i was i mean it was like I was everyone I asked on Twitter. Hey, you know Greg Cook. Uh, I think we had Mike Meltzer on early on, uh-huh. um, and I was like, Josh, you got to come on. Everybody's been on. Nick Wright's been on. Lance has been on. John Granado. Everybody's been on. You got to come on. He was like, Why don't you just come in the studio? Uh-huh. And I was like, Okay, yeah. sounds good to me. So and Sean Bajani was there, and so I'll forever be in debt for Josh for that because after that, I mean, our listenership. It, it bumped up a little. Oh, really? Bit. Yeah, it really did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. He's uh, it's fun. It's interesting to watch him. Just his his following from Philadelphia that's followed him back yeah. here too. He still gets a lot of hits from Philadelphia. Have you have you have you hung out with him any since he's been? Yeah, back, we had or? wings a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's always been. You know, the cool thing about Josh is for as, as much as I don't know if he tries to portray himself as a certain way or if it, it, I guess just the way he comes off on radio is he really knows the business. Yeah. Like he knows the business really well because he was raised in it and he yeah. understands. There's a, there's a whole lot of that he understands kind of just uh, in, in terms of the, the the personality side, obviously, but just the business of radio and what, what things work, what things don't work, where things are headed. And he's he's always been really honest with me. You know, when he was in Philadelphia, he used to listen to the show and kind of tell us, what he thought. I think he's he's probably more honest with Meltzer. I think he just very bluntly tells Meltzer what sucks and what's good. Um, so yeah, but you talk- can do that with Meltzer. Like yeah, he, yeah, he's like a robot. He doesn't care. And no, it's really yeah. Meltzer. That's where and my wife. Sometimes <laughs> he's not a robot. He doesn't have any feelings. feelings. He's cried I mean, several times in his life. <laughs> <laughs> he may be a robot from Westworld, but he has emotions. <laughs> I mean, he's like you. He he he, he doesn't have any emotions. I he, get, he just that. I well, no, we we're not the same. He, he he's a little bit calmer than I am. I will yell and scream and go back at people. I think he I That's think true. he may pride himself on, like, I'm all right. I'm more of a type, if someone comes after me, I'm not going to allow it to happen. If you listen to the show, you've heard it. Because uh, apparently I'm engaged and gay now. That, that is oh, really? Oh, really? That is the bit. I'm not engaged it, to a man, oh, but I am gay and, gay and also engaged to a woman. So. Is that John's bit now with you? It's or? John or Hill's bit. They combined over, over the break. See, the it, problem with John, though, is even like John, John's so sarcastic and, he, and he's so dry. Right. I would imagine there's a lot of people that listen to that show for a few months before they figure it out, right? And and they assume that whatever you, he's saying about yeah, it is true. Yeah, we've coined a term called side-talking, which is what, I don't know if we coined it, but that's what we use when we go into modes where nothing we're saying is real. Uh-huh. Um, it's called side-talk. Actually, a listener did it, and that's and that's kind of gone through. Yeah, I, I think if you listen to the show for a week, you have no idea what is real and what isn't. Because <laughs> particularly at the beginning of a football season where John goes on, well, the Texans are going 15-1. and one. That I don't know if people realize that's not real real or when he says they're going to beat the he said they're going to beat the Raiders 42 to 7 this week yeah, today. He said it today. And, and, yeah. and then go into New England and, and beat their ass and that's what he said so um I don't know I don't know if people, if you're listening for the first time or the or the third time I don't know if you catch on but it takes maybe a month or so and you're like nothing he's saying is real yeah until 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 we talk about Rick Smith and then everything is real yeah, yeah it's real, real real yeah so back when you were playing with the Texans obviously yeah. you had interaction with John Granado on the radio and whatnot how did yeah. that go down did he approach you or is it something the team did uh, um, I think usually we would set it up with uh, the team, but then I think the first time it was the first time I had like an actual radio experience was 
that um, Lance was gone on vacation or something. So John did the, John just had a thing where, you know, he did have somebody come and sit in with him and especially like in June when nobody's right. around. So that's when, that's when sometimes you bring the guys that you're not sure if they're going to be good for two hours or not <laughs> right. to come in. So I, I came in and I think I sat in with him for like two hours and I had a really good time with it. And then after that, we always just had kind of a good relationship. I, I listened, um, those were the first two guys that I ever really listened to in sports radio were John and Lance. Like yeah. before, you know, I'd listen to Rome at times at other places. When I was in Jacksonville, I listened to the local guys there sporadically. Um, but when I got here, I just really, I liked them. I think they were really good. You know, a lot of times, a lot of times your memory of things of, from when you were younger, you know, like when you go back and you watch, you go back and you watch any Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like you go back and watch, um, I don't know, what, what Commando. Commando. That's a perfect Commando. one. That's exactly what I was saying. Like you thought Commando was an awesome movie and you go back and you watch it like this yeah. is a trashy B movie. Yeah. I think John and Lance, like my fear would be like, oh wait, were they actually good or was that just that I liked them when I was younger? But they were actually just that good. Because I listened to, because, yeah. yeah, I would drive around to other places. I'd listen to Rome or I'd go back to Jacksonville and I'd listen to other sports radio shows. And I'm like, no, John and Lance are just really, really good. Um, and, and had that certain, you know, Dell, you know this, like the chemist, you've seen a lot of different hosts come and go and there's guys that are good with one host and not good with another. And, uh, or they're still good independently, but just, those two guys together were just really, really good. So that was, they were the first guys that kind of got me sucked into sports radio to where I was listening probably more than I should have as an active athlete. Cause you don't, you don't need to hear everything that's on sports radio. Really? So, so are you confirming or are you just as, speaking for yourself as far as athletes listening and reading to media? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know about sports radio. I don't know how many guys, Chris Myers would talk about how he would listen while he was playing. Actually, Chris would text me sometimes. He was pretty good on the Did radio. he listen after what Chris Jenkins did to him? Did he ever li- <laughs> he listen? He didn't listen he that probably, week, did he? I don't know. That's the hard thing. Because everyone got after him that week. Once, right. you, once you get sucked into it, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to get out of it. Yeah, I don't know. So I think some guys, some guys wouldn't have a clue how to find a sports radio station, and some guys listen a lot. I, would, I, I mean, you can tell me at your position whether it be whether you're playing three four when you're in a three four. I mean, I wouldn't say you're an anonymous player because you're important, but you weren't that glamorous position. So how often were you even were you mentioned like, well, Seth Payne really didn't have a good game because who knows when you were having a good game? Or not. You know, and that's where I was kind of partially biased towards Lance because Lance would actually watch would know, defensive yeah. line and offensive line play, because his dad, like his dad, would talk about me to him. So he would say oh, wow. nice things about me. So uh, <laughs> nice. uh, like, so that was I was I was biased towards them for that too. But you know what happens with the nose tackle is as soon as the run defense isn't playing well, yeah. it's, we need a fat nose tackle. Yeah, yeah. Seth's not fat enough. That's, I love him, but he's just not fat I enough. I do actually remember those conversations from people who would call and say, yeah. he's just not big enough. He can't play. Well, yeah. they're different. <laughs> there are different 3-4s. You don't have to always be Vince Wolfork to play in a 3-4. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's where I, I guess I was spoiled with that, too, because those guys, because Lance actually watched the nose tackle play. But you're right. You get... You, for the most part, you're let off the hook because you're not like a cornerback. A cornerback, you blow two coverages. Remember, the the biggest one I can remember was Phil Buchanan when he yeah. he shied away from contact that one game yeah, he got down, down in the red zone. <laughs> and got, I just remember just that was... He, he got just, traded for, and then he didn't perform, and then that particular instance, yeah, he got killed. Oh, boy, that's right. That was the year because they traded Aaron Glenn away. Or they they, they released Aaron Glenn or did he leave as a free agent? I don't remember. But they know I tra- they Aaron traded. Aaron Glenn left as a free agent. Tra- right. And then they traded draft picks for Philip. Yeah. 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 For Philip yeah. yeah. And that was a swap. That was the, yeah, boy, what a miserable thing. You guys are bringing back bad memories. Because <laughs> 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 the thing about Aaron was Aaron was just, you know, sometimes leadership's overstated. 
I think for, for leadership, for the most part, it's got to be one of those things where you've got enough guys on your team that are good examples for younger guys. And I think that the Texans, like, I, I hate talking about the squishy, touchy-feely stuff right now with this team in any right. positive manner, but I will say that. I think it, it seems like they've got a pretty good locker room in those yeah. respects. Like, Vince Wolfork's not going to come in and change the entire culture of a team, but he's it's good to have a, several guys like him around. And Aaron Glenn was one of those guys who kind of talked sense into the younger guys. So... I mean, I don't did know. I say, if, did I say Vince Young? Vince Wolford. You said Wolford. Oh, Wolford. I did? Yeah, okay. you did. You right. did. So, I mean, back then, Please watching... Please correct me if I do anything like that. <laughs> Dumbass, get it right. <laughs> so, back then, uh, you know, as as a fan, I was extremely excited. I was still in the service in 2002 when, when y'all started up. And I was all I was stationed in San Antonio. I had all the gear. You know, I was texting out. I was ready to go. And that first game against Dallas, I was actually working... Really? I was working controller. Really, that's what we're gonna bring up. Yeah, I was working. I was working. I was a controller, which means All I was in a room later. about this size. Yeah. By myself with like sixty TV screens that just had cameras all around the base, right? So uh-huh. I had, you know, and I'm watching this game, and we had cable on one TV, and so I'm watching the game on that TV. And when we win, right? When Gary Walker gets the safety, yeah. right? To make it nineteen ten. I slammed my hands down on the desk and I started cussing and screaming as loud as I could. I didn't realize that my hand was on the radio. Oh, really? So everybody, it's so, like a PA. Yeah. Oh, well, our radio is to our because I was so I was military police. Okay. Yeah. So it went out on the radio to everybody working. Yeah. So, like five minutes later, not even five minutes later, there's eight. You know, military police guys running through the front door wondering, what the, what are you doing? What's right, going it on here? It like you were getting killed or right, something. Yeah. Right, yeah. And I'm like, we won 1910. I can't believe it. We're one to know. We won. <laughs> and that was, but back then, those those first those first couple of years of the Texans, mm-hmm. was it difficult? I mean, I, it had to be, but just getting, gearing up for training camp and right. whatnot. How was that? What was that uh, like? The first year... The first- let, let let me back up provide some context because you just come from Jacksonville, right? right. So were were y'all losing or winning? Then? We had we had started to slide a little bit because we went to the AFC Championship right. game right. in ninety nine and ninety six. Which was the year you beat 96. Miami sixty two to seven? What's that? What year did you beat Miami sixty two? That was ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I remember you. You sit Marino, my favorite guy out. Not well. I mean, yeah, they, we got him benched. Yeah, they're like, hey, <laughs> hey, Damon, hey, Damon Hewitt, do you want to come play for this I imagine Damon Hewitt was like, no, I don't want to play. <laughs> right. yeah, the, the Dolphins had won a game in Seattle. They weren't supposed to win. Cross country trip had to come back, and there was no chance. I think they played were, on short rest. Yeah, you too. guys it was like a Sunday one, game to a Saturday you guys game in the playoffs. Seed. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, so I remember that moment because that was Dan Reno's last ball game, and I right. hated Jacksonville ever since. It, it wasn't your fault. The right. Dolphins weren't any good, but I hated you for it. But yeah, so '99, <laughs> you guys. Did you make the AFC title game? 99, we went to the AFC championship. Yeah. We lost to Tennessee. The only team we lost to that year was Tennessee. We lost the yeah. two regular season games and then lost to them in the AFC championship. Uh, and then by 2000 and 2001, we started to slide backwards a little bit. Uh, I don't think we... But y'all were the, still contenders, weren't you? We were I was like we were a respectable team, but okay, we were yeah. in the playoffs uh, by 2001, and it was starting to get dicey for Coughlin. So, and we knew, plus what we had done is spent a bunch of money on free agents just mm-hmm. trying to get right. the Super Bowl. So we kind of right. knew going into that 2001 season that a lot of people were going to be gone afterwards because they were going to try to dump us in the expansion draft. So it ended up being Gary, uh, Tony Baselli, and me. And uh, I, it wasn't – the first year wasn't bad because you knew – I don't want to say expectations were low because it never feels like that with the coaches. 
but you knew you knew you were in for it. You knew right. it wasn't going to be rosy. I guess it maybe got a little bit tougher after the Cowboys game because all of a sudden we're like, oh, wait a second, like what? Are, <laughs> yeah. what, what exactly could we do here? <laughs> yeah. And then the next week we went out to San Diego and just say out, say out. I think say out might have single handedly crushed our hopes and dreams <laughs> yeah. because he just he just worked over David Carr that day. Um, so that no, but that first game, the first training camp was really tough. Because Capers just was trying to get everybody on board. You bring all these guys into camp, and you're trying to get them all together. You know, from from just you're, it's like throwing together an all star team. You right. know, maybe all stars a little exaggerated, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right, right. You're bringing in a bunch yeah. of guys from that haven't played in the in that system at all, and there's nobody to show them the way. So we we took like I took twice as many reps in that training camp as I had did in any other camp in any other season because we would start each period with the ones taking a taking a set of snaps. The twos would go, the ones would go, the threes would go, the ones would go, and it, which isn't typically how it's done. So they worked us really hard. And winning that game, winning that game was it was it still is one of my coolest experiences in the NFL. Yeah. It really it meant nothing in the grand scheme of things, but the environment in that stadium, and just that was where I really all of a sudden understood. Oh wow, football in Texas is a big deal. Like right. this is just a whole right. different environment. Right. Especially you're playing the Dallas Cowboys, right. your inaugural game. Yeah. That's about as big as it can get in Texas. Yeah, no, exactly. And you and you got a feel for exactly what it meant to play the Cowboys cuz even though they're not a, you know, divisional or even a conference rival sure. or anything, um you got a sense for that. And and we that whole training camp, we had moments like that. When we scrimmaged the Cowboys at University of Houston, even, when all these people show up mm-hmm, for, mm-hmm. for a scrimmage, um, in a lot of those moments, it was just really cool. It was an excited, great experience in Jacksonville, and I, and I loved playing there, and I loved being on those really good teams. But for my wife and I both, it was just a different – it was a whole different feel when you got to Houston, and it's just this major city, and it's in the state of Texas, and just things are – Things are done a little bit differently here, as, as you guys know. And, I mean, what was it like walking into – because, I mean, you're walking into a brand-new stadium, yeah. brand-new practice facilities. You know, it, was there ever a feeling of, like, you know, it doesn't really matter, you know, the outcome of what we're doing because we're basically gods in Houston now <laughs> because football's back? Um, I don't know. It, it, that's a good question because you still always have the same you know there's always that overriding fear whenever you're playing pro sports of your day in day out like i can't mess up i can't mess up i can't mess up like you're there's always your personal battle where your job's always at risk and you don't want to get cut and you're trying to prove yourself for next year so that that stress is always there um but i think yeah from week to week you just really took a lot of joy in the victories you know we beat and every time you the great thing was that every time you won it just ruined that other team's entire mood for the week and right. possibly the season you know we beat the we beat the Steelers and it just it was really cool because I played in Three Rivers a bunch of time there in the old AFC Central mm-hmm. and I'd never just shut the crowd up like that we're beating them in the second half they can't do anything on offense in that crowd like Three Rivers just it wasn't it was Hinesfield by that point they just shut up and um and then same thing with the Giants I remember after we beat the Giants the whole top half of the sports section the headline was shame like that was just because <laughs> it makes me so yeah. happy because <laughs> you lost to the houston texans so there were there were some really cool moments like that and then it was just a i forgot about the 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 win in pittsburgh because that was huge yeah. in houston because yeah, like 47 Oilers yards rivalry. of offense yeah it was it was 47 yards of offense i think which is the least 
amount of yardage in a win ever yeah, in the NFL. That's pretty awesome. And it's pretty I close really... to like the least amount of offensive yardage too. I think the right. record for that is like twenty seven. <laughs> Have we really progressed considering the offensive yards? <laughs> <laughs> Has there really been any progression? Yeah, they won they won five more games. <laughs> Inter Dell. <laughs> I, mean, I was gonna ask you it's a really good point. We're happiness nostalgia over here in the I was just Dell. I was looking to ask you the question how much progress has actually been made since you were playing? It was. I felt strange talking about the Texans with this big smile on my face. Right. <laughs> That's all. I think I, it's interesting because every coach when they come in, because I saw it with Kubiak and then O'Brien comes in, and every, you hear this all around the league. It's always, we're going to change the culture. Oh, Maybe yeah. each coach comes in, and it's like it's like a slap in the face for the coach that came before him. Like right. This guy was just some yahoo that didn't know what he was doing and had no discipline or anything. And so they, look, every regime is different, and every coach does it a different way. I guess I, I will say they've he's put together the framework for a team that can go nine and seven with the worst offense and one of the worst offenses yeah. in the league in a, in a bad division. And that's where we're Mike and I were talking about this today. If you try to separate him from the offensive side of the ball, like if God, if they were to fire Godsey after the season and bring in Mike McCoy or somebody like that, what is he? How is he as just a head coach? Like, how is he as a Mike Tomlin? Right. How is he as, like, the way uh, Tom Coughlin did it, where he's got, a you know, a guy that runs the offense and a guy that runs the defense? And I, I think you can make an argument that he's done a pretty God, good job in some respects there, except for his gaffes in clock management and certain game decisions. And if you're going to make excuses for him, you'd say, okay, well, maybe that's because he's still too involved in the offense. But there's something broken there, whether right. it's Godsey or his relationship with Godsey or, or what. Right. I don't I don't expect... I don't put a lot of I don't know what that Jay Glazer tweet was. Was it a report? Was it an opinion? It was almost like it was almost like, hey, listen, guys, I heard something. I'm not real sure about it, but this is what I heard. Because Schefter tweeted something out first, right? Yeah. See, I never and saw Schefter's tweet. I saw and his I follow tweet him. First. I, don't, I didn't see it. Well, Schefter and then just Glazer tweeted something. was like right behind it. And yeah. it was almost like I need to put something out there because I can't be one upped on a Sunday, so I've heard from sources maybe possibly this could be true, maybe not really. Blah. And that was about the Gary Kubiak retirement. So that was the big bombshell that Schefter had dropped. Yes. Right. The Gary Kubiak okay, that's what it was. So it was yeah, like yeah. Schefter had a big bombshell. Yeah, right. It was like, I have to one-up it. But usually Glazer doesn't tweet that way. Usually he's pretty definitive right. in his language. But hey, this why would one you use Bill O'Brien to one-up one up Schefter? Like, what is well, yeah, well, listen to this about the Texans. Right. Everybody's like, well, whatever. And that's Watch, what, you can have your bomb. I've got my Glazer bomb with the Texans. Yeah, and that's what's so strange is because, like, yeah, usually he's a reporter. He's not necessarily right. an opinion giver, and that felt like an opinion. Right. Let me ask you something. When when people say or when people judge a head coach, are, are people outside the organization, fans, former players, any, any one of us, are we really able to judge how good a head coach is because – we see play calling. Yeah. We see game day, but we don't see how they actually coach. Right. You are, yeah, you don't necessarily see. I guess that's where you have to start looking for where has the progress been. And again, a glaring, the glaring obvious one is offense. Right. You know, like it feels like whenever I have this conversation, I feel like I'm bending over backwards to try to make an excuse. You know, and part of it is I don't, I'd like Bill O'Brien to get one more year just because, for one thing, there's six head coach openings right now. And the Texans are going to be way behind. If like that, if that Jay Glazer tweet were to come to fruition or something, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to necessarily do right now. Um, I guess what you have to look at is I guess, overall record is the simple and obvious one. But then again, you've got to 
you've got to lower the bar a little bit right. because the AFC South. Um, the other would be I, where I where I'm most pleased with this team is the defense, obviously, and it's not just that they've played well on defense because it, you've seen steady growth from various guys on the defense and it's growth that I didn't expect to see like Whitney Merciless Whitney Merciless plays with his hands way better and he's done that over the course of the last couple seasons and that's one of the things that's made him better and that's a very coachable thing so okay I credit Mike Vrabel for that Bernardrick McKinney Bernardrick McKinney looks faster than I thought he was Mm -hmm. and I think part of that's because he's playing with he he understands exactly where he fits in the scheme, you know, and that's Romeo Cornell and Mike Vrabel. Uh, the defensive line, as they're playing right now, a lot of those guys are like would look like classic overachieving three four defensive linemen. Well, that's Anthony Weaver. And uh, the defensive backs, the defensive backs, even though you, you, all the big plays jump out in your mind, they play very solid and sound defense. They don't let up a lot of big right. plays. They they've had a ton of three and outs. Um, and there's so there are a lot of hallmarks of coaching there, but in my mind, I credit that to Romeo Cornell. Right. You know, and um, as far as offense goes, if I'm gonna give the if I'm gonna give the head coach versus George Gatsian credit the credit there, I don't know quite where to go with it. I don't know quite where to give anybody any positive credit for anything that's happened with the offense. And Bill O'Brien's right. an offensive-minded head coach. So right. yeah, you have to ask yourself. All right, would any other coach? Would any other coach with Romeo Cornell as his coordinator have done a worse job than Bill O'Brien? Right. So if Billy had a defensive background and he still hired Romeo, right. would we bl- be blaming everything on Godsey and Billy O'Brien is still God? Right. Is, any, is, he, well, Sean, is he Sean Payton? Yeah. Then? Yeah, there, there, there you go. That's, that's, you know, I that's speak as a analogy. fan. I'm yeah. not an expert. I speak as a fan. And as a fan, everything, everything rolls back to your head coach mm-hmm. because he's the captain. He's the guy in charge. So... You know, I ask, you know, when I call in to Dell show every once in a while, one of the questions I asked John was, can you name me a game where the Texans came out victorious and you were able to look at that game and say, Bill O'Brien won his football that game by the things he did as a head coach. Right, where the, the where it was, a, that was just a, a more brilliantly executed game plan yes. or, or what have you. But you're just talking on the offensive side of the ball. Just on, uh, yeah, on the offensive side of the right. ball, obviously. Well, and this is the other thing, because if we're going to talk about head coach, okay, it's about managing your coordinators too. And this is right. what, this is what just drives me crazy. I don't, look, Remember, we don't have an FCC filter. Yeah, so we yeah. can go, bro. We do Facebook Live, and I, I end up swearing on that a lot. And then I feel like, I feel like I'm just doing it for the – I don't know. I'm trying to clean up my language a little bit. But I do wonder, like, this that story – because you remember Bill O'Brien tried to downplay the fact that he was going to be calling plays. Uh, right. Call, whichever game that was. Yeah. I can't remember which one it was. Um and he tried to downplay it, but then C.J. Fedorowicz after the game was talking to Matt Musil, and he was like, yeah, O'Brien came up to me before the game and said, hey, you know, I'm calling plays today, and I like to throw to the tight end. And lo and behold, that's when C.J. Fedorowicz showed up. Right, so it had so, to be the cold game. What the hell? How is it that difficult or complicated that George Godsey can't get the tight ends involved until – but Bill O'Brien can take over play calling, and it happens. Right. So, like, I might – then it becomes – okay – a, Bill O'Brien is not managing this coordinator very well if the thing that he knows can work is not happening. Right. B, why is George Godsey your offensive coordinator? And this right. is like the, this is the poison pill that so many coaches swallow and die on 
is when they let nepotism creep into things and whatever his personal affection is for George Gotzi, I don't know what George Gotzi brings to the freaking table. Right. You know? So, yeah, as a head coach, I would say that's his biggest flaw so far, just like Gary Kubiak with his defense coordinators exactly. early on. I was going to say Frank yeah. Bush. And, yeah. yeah. So, but there, and that's, and there lies the problem, too. Like, I understand what McNair wants to do and he wants to have consistency in the organization. And I think he also knows that, look, head coaches get better over time. The problem is sometimes they need to get fired before they really learn their lesson. Sure. And is Bill O'Brien going to be that coach that really doesn't genuinely learn his lesson until he's until he's out on? And his- you can connect the dots because Brock Osweiler should have been benched earlier in the season to learn his lesson. Yeah. He should have been sat five six games in. Look, dude, you look like dog shit. We're going to give you a week off. Let's see where we're at in two weeks. And like you're saying about Bill O'Brien, it's the same thing. And like you said. Bill O'Brien brings a lot of it upon himself with the way he speaks and uh, like no offense, but I don't care how he speaks to the media. Uh-huh. It doesn't bother me. Uh-huh. You know, I don't see it one way or the other, but since some of the things he says on hard knocks, we have good quarterbacks. We're going to make, we're going to make everyone respect the quarterbacks we have in this room. You know, nine and seven is not the mark. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of his, I guess, image is self-inflicted because I mean, this guy talks so much shit, you know, like, I mean, he just talks it and talks and talks it. And he hasn't, in my opinion, right. Like, none of what he has spoke on has he been able to back up. You know, he acts and he's gotten better over time, but you're right. It, but he still does come off like he, especially initially, like he's the smartest guy in the room and nobody knows what they're talking about. Right. And why would you even question us? And now, like, is the, the offense has gotten steadily worse and worse and worse. And, and you look at the... And again, from going from the young head coach to the more experienced head coach, and one with which you get a sense that ego is involved a lot. Look at what happened. Look at the bet he made for himself last year with the Brian Hoyer, Ryan Mallett waffling. And when everything really came to a head, when in the playoff game, you feel like you can't bench this guy. Yep. Even though he's clearly playing with a frazzled brain. Because, yeah, because right. you made that, you, you made that, you, you, went and told the team that you had made the mistake of waffling on your quarterbacks and pulling Hoyer and all that. Um, and now you that's the bed you made for himself. And, and all those repercussions keep flowing through into this year and whether or not you can bench Brock and all of that. Uh, it's just – and that's the other I, – I think sometimes we get too much – wrapped up in the quarterback discussion because that's the very easy like whenever we right. talk to anybody we have greg to sell on all the time and we have other people from outside like national and and the, the smart guys will always say well look listen it's obviously the quarterback the, the quarterback's the issue and that's true that's the big issue but you also have you have an offensive line that hasn't had any amount of consistency the entire time he's yep. been here the other than when well no because that the first year arian foster made the offensive line look a lot better than they were until they got it together, I'd say, over the in the second half of the season. Yeah. They had fired Paul Dunn. Uh, but again, they, this offensive line has a habit of not figuring out what the hell they're supposed to be doing or who they're supposed to block until the second half of the season. Uh, you know, you, you bring in all these young guys, and there's just – there are a whole lot of issues other than just the quarterback. You know, it's interesting. I'm, I, don't, I'm not, I haven't listened to the thousands of minutes he, sp- he spoke about his offense throughout the year because why would I? I mean, it's a pre- pretty much a repeat. But – the blowups, I obviously get played like the one with Brian T. Smith. We're in the playoffs, we're in the playoffs, whatever. However, yeah. paraphrasing, we're in the playoffs, that's all that really matters. I think people look at him and he doesn't, does he not see the 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 larger or the global issue concerning this, his football team the last three years that you're the offensive guy, your offense is awful, 
and you're riding your the defense to playoffs. Yeah. I don't I I believe I imagine there's humility in those minutes that I'm not listening to, but when those blow-ups occur, it makes people think this guy doesn't even understand what the actual issue is. You can't continue to talk about well you made the playoffs. We know you made the playoffs and fortunately the way it's fallen, you might actually win a playoff game because you've got Connor Cook or Matt McGloin on the other side. Uh but people who have sat through what what are we, what are we at now in terms of years of the Texans? You, so people have yeah. sat through that many seasons. Five, 15, yeah. <laughs> 15, yeah. The 9-7, and seven, we made the playoffs thing, or just simply the ma- we made the playoff things, isn't enough anymore for right. us. It's not. And I understand as a football coach, well, we made the playoffs, we're in the tournament, we got a shot. But people who, who kind of can step back, which he, is, he can't do, he's got to go game by game, look at him and say, what are you talking about? We all know what's going to happen here. Even with, since there's no Derek Carr, you may actually win this playoff game. But unless Miami upsets uh, Pittsburgh, you're going to New England. And we know what's going to happen there. And even if Miami did upset Pittsburgh, you go to Kansas City, we know what's going to happen there too. I just think – I know. I guess a football coach can't can't put himself in that position, but I think it help, it would help him if he realized people kind of get the global issue here. You no, know, and I, I think too, when you're a head football coach, I don't think how many guys realize – well, look at Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey's interactions with the media in the city – like and I don't know how many guys would admit to it or not, but man, it's he's so good at just kind of explaining things. That Jeff Luno was the same way. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Luno handled it perfectly. He didn't have to do it for as long as is Daryl Morey, but Jeff Luno especially kind of understood the boat they were in and handled everything with patience and class. Uh, this is the thing with Bill O'Brien is that he's just he's a naturally fiery guy, and those pre- it's it's the weirdest thing. You watch those press conferences on Monday. And sometimes he'll just be short as hell and grumpy and combative and all that. And then he goes and he records the Bill O'Brien show immediately after that. That's what we talked about last in time. In a comfortable environment. Yep. With his guy. With, right, John with Harris, John Harris and, and Mark. And look, and Mark and John will tell you, they're not asking him hard-hitting questions and everything, but they address the topics. And all of a sudden, like, in that comfortable environment, O'Brien opens up a lot and he'll talk about mistakes sure. he made in the game and play calling and everything. And so a lot of it, I think, is really, he gets up at that podium and it's like a that fight or flight response, and he's he's not a right. flight guy; he's a fight guy, you know. And yeah. you're you're facing twenty people, some of whom have hostile questions for you. Right. And I think it's I think it's as simple as that. And you're he, and part of it too is that yeah, he, I, look, he knows exactly the situation. Like he knows he's an offensive coach who's got a bad offense, and there's a certain amount of like either self loathing or whatever you want to call it. And he just doesn't he doesn't handle it the right way. You're he needs to. He needs to get some. He needs to get. You know what he needs? He needs Brock's mental enhancement coach. What well, he, he needs that guy because that guy, <laughs> that guy, will work wonders with your press you know, conference. Here's demeanor. something interesting that you, you you made a point. I don't even know if you realized it or not. But you listed Bill O'Brien, and then you listed the GM for the Astros and the GM for the Rockets. But you didn't list the manager for the <laughs> Astros and the coach for the Rockets. Right. Why don't we hear from Rick Smith like we hear from the GMs of the Astros yeah. and the GM of the Rockets? And well, uh, that's what. Uh, I, do you? What do you guys think about? Luno and Mori compared to GMs of other franchises for their respective sports. They're still those guys are pretty out front with the media. Yeah, yeah. no one's more out front than Jerry Jones. Yeah, that's true. But as far as that is concerned, I mean, as a Dolphin <clears throat> fan, I will I will get news from South Florida about that team. I don't hear Mike Tannenbaum speak. Yeah, he doesn't do radio interviews, from what I can tell. I mean, uh, Pat Riley doesn't do them either. Really, he does his State of the Union or State of the Team after the season or right before the season, but he doesn't appear. On not that they, these guys do it weekly, but as far as he, general managers are concerned, I think Houston's 
very lucky in terms of if you want to actually hear from those guys. Right. The fact that they they show up is uh and talk is kind of a kind of a, a nice thing. Uh, but one more thing about uh Bill O'Brien, you think it's. <clears throat> I mean, I don't like Manny said. I don't really care. I guess I'm in the meet. I don't really care how he talks to the meet. I mean, whatever. Right. I don't think any fan cares. Win the games. We don't care I, how like, you treat I, like, them. I, I enjoy it because it's good radio. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. it that, you know? <laughs> Do you think when he gets in that environment with uh, John Harris and Mark Vander, uh, Vandermeer, obviously he knows he's they're not going to be pressing him on things to like and try to catch him in something to make a headline. Yeah. But do you think it's because he pro- he might respect John, or definitely respect John Harris as a football mind more than he might? Respect a guy who I don't even want to point out the Chronicle. They're the biggest paper. Yeah. The guy from the Chronicle, or the guy, or or the person from ESPN who's in for in town for a week, or even the person who's there weekly. Do you think it's because he knows John Harris, knows what he's seeing? I think there's there's that, and then there's also you know one guy that he's gone back and forth with a few times, but like I can tell he likes is Paul Gallant. Yeah, and and Paul because and I think Paul because Paul grew up in in Boston. Mm-hmm. Paul understands the Belichick the Belichick strategy which is if you ask him a technical question they kind of get into it right their eyes light up and i think that's the strategy with o'brien is even if it's a controversial topic or something if you if you ask him in a in a relatively informed way and you ask like Meltzer's had success with this too where he'll go in and say okay look it was it was second and ten there was there was no time on the clock etc etc why did you do this right he's generally pretty open to that even when he's when he's really miserable. So I think that's, that's part of the strategy. And then part of it, I try not to, I try not to criticize people's questions too much because sometimes there's just some, it can be a, a good question can sound really, really stupid when a right. coach just shoots it down. Right. And you not know, only that, but I mean, yeah. people and talk, a stupid question can sound like a good one. If the coach feels like talking, right. You know, people talk about having coaches go up there immediately after the game, you know, not even an hour after the game. Yeah. What's well, the same for the media too? I mean, I'm not naive. Like, you guys have been sitting there. I say you guys, you know, guys in the paper that ask the questions. They've been sitting there watching the same three and a half hour game, and they have the same amount of time to go from where they're sitting yeah. to the press conference room and have their question ready for the coach. And at times, you know, I, I can imagine how tough that is. But there are you know? there, there are some. I mean, there's some obvious ones that people miss sometimes, and it's all like. And again, I'm not in the press conferences that much, so I try not to criticize because uh, those why guys, don't they have you asking questions? Because that? I would think you would be one that would ask good questions, being I, a former player and all that. Partly just because on like Sundays, because I do a Sunday evening TV show, so I need to. Yeah. I'm trying to get the hell out of there because yeah. I got to go over and prep for that. Um, and then uh, I'll cite laziness on Mondays. So <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you honestly, though, too, part of me, um, I have I have a really like I actually have a pho- I have a phobia that somehow Tom Coughlin's getting it up as the coach here because I'd have to quit. Like, I, I yeah, really yeah. would. Like, yeah. I have a I, really I would either have to go do Texans radio or, or go into another market because I don't think I'd have to have a real serious conversation with myself about like how I would feel like speaking openly and critically of Tom Coughlin yeah, and like being really rough with him. What if I needed to? So, needed to be, yeah. Is that yeah. because of the amount of respect you have for yeah, him? Yeah. Or he's just... got like dad strength over me. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I played for him for five years and yeah. he was kind of a father figure in a lot of ways. Anybody in Jacksonville who, uh, still who played for him, who's still in the market. Cause didn't he interview for that job or he, or they want him to interview. Oh, for in that Jacksonville. Job? I don't, you know what? There was, okay. Buffalo was a rumor and he interviewed in Jacksonville. Yeah. Lamont and I were talking about this. I think he's a great fit for what Jacksonville has right now. Yeah. For uh, Mr. Mr. Discipline and talent. And who knows what Blake Bortles needs. I don't know what what his issue is. Apparently, the news today is he needs two healthy shoulders and a wrist. Yeah. That would be helpful. We talked about that today, too, because 
these reports come out after the season. Remember his rookie year, he had that dead arm syndrome, mm-hmm, right. the pitcher's arm syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I just don't know how much credence to give the reports. Is it just an excuse, or was it, was it actually something? A separated shoulder for a quarterback's a big deal. Yeah. Well, Sean Salisbury just, said he was talking about today, and how he he realized Bortles, his mechanics all season had been. Yeah. And he said, if yeah. that's true, then that speaks a lot to what was going on with Blake on the field. He's compensating. Make, yeah, he was yeah. he was overcompensating. And hey, so Lamont like wants to know. A lot of like intelligent football people couldn't figure out what the hell was going on now, with the mechanics. Now, so. if, if he really did have a torn shoulder, doesn't that have to be on the injury report? Like, what stuff has to be and what stuff do you not have yeah, to put on the injury report? Like, if you're hurt, okay. it's supposed to be on it's there. It's supposed to be right. on the report. Right. Yeah, that's why it's well, always We hear about all these injuries but, after the season. Right, and sometimes like the NFL will go in and talk to people, but they, they claim, I don't know. I, don't know. Right. I cut you off there. What were you gonna Lamont do? wants to know if you think you could actually play for Bill O'Brien. Oh yeah, yeah, I'd be fine with it. I'm pretty uh, sure any pro player would could play for any pro coach yeah. ever. He um like I and as far as he treats his players, he seems to be pretty consistent with them. I don't know. I haven't gotten a lot of reports that they hate him or anything. I know they practice hard. Yeah, like they practice hard. They, he's the old Parcells. Uh, the old Parcells strategy of just you're gonna work, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be under constant stress, you're gonna hit like all throughout the season. I don't know if there's. I thought I heard him say the other day that they're still in shoulder pads, um, which a lot of teams by this time of year are not practicing in pads at right. all. So, uh, but that's what that's what Coughlin was. I mean, Coughlin was a hard guy to play for. He just never. The hardest thing about Coughlin was that he just you so rarely got positive feedback. It was just mm-hmm. always. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And then you, but because he's like that father figure, you like right. constantly want to please him, even but though you he, get he'll never be from pleased. him. It's like, oh, the ultimate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you buy into what we heard in New York where they, where they, like the players pretty much, hey, you got to change. Yeah. And obviously they went on to win two titles. Do you believe he really changed? How much, well, how much could Tom Coughlin or any coach change? To, to the effect that, well, okay, now all the players are good with him. I think he relaxed a lot more. I remember talking to him about that season where going into it, I think he he had a good sense that like that could be the last season for him if things didn't turn around. And he went into the season. We Look, we had that conversation with him in Jacksonville. Like, players had had that conversation with him before. We had a, he had a leadership council once where, like, eight of us were on this leadership council and he would meet with us every now and then. And finally one day, like we were just like, we got to tell him like, you got to just back off, man. Cause you right. come in here every day and it's like a morgue in here and you're terrified that you're going to, you know, not even like, like make eye contact with the wrong right. person. So, and he would like sit and listen to it and everything, but I don't think he ever quite got it going into that season. He told me that he had just basically decided, you know what? I'm going to have, this might be the last year I ever coach. I'm going to have fun with it. So obviously his version of fun is different than like the normal average human being's version of fun. So they, it still wasn't being relayed to the players, but I wonder if when the players communicated that to him, if he was more receptive to it because of it. And and, and that's what he did. I I think he, it was a looser environment after that. And he was like, he finally grasped that like, okay, I'm wired in a weird way, not like other human beings. Right. And everybody else needs to relax every now and then. Did like, you see so that I, football life on that? him last year? I, I saw part of it. I saw the the first half. Of it was it. really good. Yeah, I gotta, I'm glad you said that. I'm gonna go back and finish. It was it was, it was good stuff. <laughs> you I reminded mean, him a year later. Yeah, <laughs> go back and finish. <laughs> Especially you watching old Red Face. I miss Red Face on the opposing sideline, yeah. getting all pissed off because you know someone made a tackle wrong or yeah something kickers, good happened. And he was only kind of red in the face. It was know? the worst seeing him with kickers. Like nobody managed a <laughs> kicker worse than him. Like, really, the kicker comes off the sideline. It was like. Dude, like, 
the la- like the kicker knows he messed up. Like every kicker knows that that, right. that kick could be his last. Right. And Coffin would just tear into kickers like they were, <laughs> you know, like it was his fullback or something. Yeah, no, no coach ever like you. Like when you watch a player mess up or a play dot work, a coach can point to well, you're blaming this guy, but you don't know what happened here or there. When a kicker messes up, nope, the coach net well. The guy didn't turn the ball the right way. Right. It's always well, the kicker missed the kick. Yeah. I mean, how much how much blame does a kicker can a kicker place on the holder if the laces aren't directly at him? How much blame could a kicker actually put place on the other? So the kicker knows. Right. I I shanked that. I missed that. I cost us the game. There's no what. Well, the other ten guys didn't do their job. No, you you're the guy. Well, you what about it. the uh, what about the punt? Huh? To Deshaun Jackson. Oh, oh yeah. late oh, in the yeah. fourth quarter. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, he was supposed to kick it out of bounds, and yeah, he did a, not. Okay, yeah, Oops. no, that's a, okay. That's yeah, a yellable offense. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Once again, the punter can't blame that situation yeah, on anyone else. Yeah, thinking right. about Coughlin and, and Coughlin just v line straight to him yeah. right out the sideline. He was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just give the punter a hug. A hey, uh, Rot wants to know how much you love the defensive coordinator Dick Smith. Oh, Richard Smith. Uh, <laughs> you know, Richard Smith. Because now he's with the Falcons. Right. And now he's might like Richard Smith might win another Super Bowl, just like he did with the he was a linebackers coach with the Broncos. I have no idea how he is. Is a and, and Von Miller said that he's a really good linebackers coach, and I I don't doubt that. Um, when he was the defensive coordinator for the Texans, it was uh, it's just a classic case of a guy trying to do one hundred things all at once, and nobody knew what the hell we were supposed to be doing. Right. I just remember the defensive backs being so frustrated and confused because on any given week. The, you talk about the game plan offense and how frustrating that is with with us as fans. That's what it seemed like with the defense. It didn't didn't change that much for defensive line, other than the other than that at times like they couldn't get the right personnel on the field. You know, we'd be right. we'd be he'd be calling nickel like base personnel was on the field, and Richard Smith would try to call nickel with like seven seconds left on the clock. <laughs> nice. We're just sprinting around all over the place. So um, was that the time one of the greatest radio bits in Houston his sports radio talk history? Was Lance Zerline? Yeah, about that y'all. Was that, that was that. Yeah. Okay, it's like because yeah. you're thinking so like good. you're supposed to be bringing the fat guys on and off like to give them a spell, but we're like, and it was true. Like Lance's impression was almost dead on because it was. <laughs> it was like I'm looking at the sideline, like I'm you know like I'm 315 pounds. I'm looking at the sideline. And the offense is breaking the huddle, and I see that they want nickel. So I'm like, I'm sprinting <laughs> to the sidelines. <laughs> and then they run a play, and they're like, pace, pace, pace. And I'm sprinting back out, getting in my stance right before the snap. And, and just, yeah, like heart rate up at 180 is uh, taking like one snap out of five. That's, wow. uh, that's exactly. So, so Richard Smith at that time was completely out of his league and out of his element, especially with an offensive. Like Kubiak was, Kubiak was all about the offense those right. first few years, you know. So, that's where the that's why it was so good for him to have Wade Phillips because then he could do that and, and Richard Smith was just the job was too big for him and now maybe he's learned a lot of lessons since then I'm sure well, I mean I'm sure he, he's not and he was trying so hard you know these coaches that try so hard to be a drill sergeant and they just it's like they're trying to their whole persona is something they saw from you know Patton or, or movies they've seen and he was trying so hard to be that guy and he so obviously wasn't capable of being that guy that I just I, I he's the one coach that I really genuinely disliked like there are other yeah. coaches that I thought were jerks like I thought this guy's just this guy's a, a, a liar and a and like a bad person and maybe he's changed since then but I just yeah. did, I despised him you uh you were Tony Baselli made the finalist for Hall of Fame oh did he did he oh, really for him. Sure oh, okay did, yeah. no kidding. that's thank you Joan Miss yeah. Joan uh 
Really? Wanted to let you know, yeah. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one. because You think he goes in as a Texan? No, I'm just <laughs> Double rods to everybody. <laughs> poor poor Maselli. He's like, watch me, do this. watch me do this to Andre Johnson. I'm going in as a Texan. <laughs> you know? There's no bigger difference, like in city reception, for a guy like in in, in Jacksonville. He could, I'm pretty sure he could run for mayor if he chose to yeah. and win. In uh, in Houston, he's just persona non grata. I remember running guy. into him literally at the Buffalo Grill. I was getting breakfast, and I turn around, and I'm like, "Bam!" Like I thought it was a wall. No, it was Tony Baselli, and he had like seven trays. Like <laughs> the guy was just piling down food. Couldn't have been a nicer guy, but yeah, would have been well, nice well, to yeah. see him in a uniform. Yeah, I never, you know, I never associated him with Ed Reed. But in a lot of ways, you know, at least we got some productive kind of play out of Ed Reed, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at least a, more than a player or two. Uh, Lamont wants to know, when was the moment that you finally figured out that you can do this radio shit? Oh, oh boy, that's a good question. I think Like, I, is it something coming out of college? I, obviously, you went into the pros. Yeah. And then as your pro career was winding down, was it something you thought about? Like, well, maybe I want to do radio. Yeah, not really. I didn't because I was always kind of – when I was playing, I was always very conscious of putting the team first. So, like, I could have some good quotes and everything because I did, you know, I could, I could string some words together. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't, I was always very careful not to be controversial and always keep the team first in, in my mind. So I don't think I was ever, like, I was always a little bit nervous about the media. I never wanted to be too forthcoming with it. And I actually got burned well, the, the time I really pulled back was the time I told Granado to fuck off I, uh, uh, on live radio after the game because we got crushed by Cincinnati. And, and of all people, Granado comes up to you. Yeah, and Granado came up and gave me a gift card for being the player of the game. And it was like Granado was just doing right by the sponsor. And he just said something like, hey, hey, your eyes really, you know, tough game, but your eyes really lit up when you saw that gift certificate. And like in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, that to the listener, that just sounds like some money hungry bastard professional athlete. <laughs> so I said, I can't remember what I said. We've got the drop. We play it every now and then. But I said something like, "Like, uh, look, I know you guys can't see me at home, but my eyes didn't light up. Fuck that!" And I threw the and I threw the I threw, I threw the gift certificate down at the ground, and I stormed away. And I was still like, I, I went back to my locker and I was giving Granado the evil eye. And Granado's just standing there with his microphone, like giving his Granado look, like, like just We're like done. dumbfounded, like what the hell's going on here? Like not angry or anything, just like what the hell just happened? And like that was live on air, like so and, uh, good. So and then I ended up realizing because what I do, I figure it out like five minutes later. I'm like, oh crap, I went to my place. Like I went to my, I went to that that weird place, didn't I? That didn't make any sense at all. And I went over and I apologized to. Him, uh, but I could tell by that point that everybody was all the radio people were kind of scrambling around. Wow. So as far as knowing that I could do it, Granado actually ended up talking to me. He kind of coaxed me into it because I was up working in oil and gas in Western PA, um, just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I was living up in my wife's hometown. We wanted our daughter to be closer to her family, but I wasn't. I wasn't really. I wasn't miserable, but I wasn't doing anything that. I was happy about doing right. so Granado called me every week and I'd call back into 1560 to, to talk about the Texans and he kind of he gave me a few pep talks about it so that's when I decided to come back and I just I gave myself that 2012 season to try to do some radio and I did, ended up doing a bunch of Texans radio and um, when uh, when Brad Davies left the show by that point I had I guess proven myself to Gavin Spillin because that's the hard thing with athletes you don't know lots of guys are good on their air 
but you don't know if they're going to prepare. And, you know, right. like, Dell, you've seen this with a lot of different guys. Like, you don't know if they're going to prepare. You don't know if they're going to... When they're going to show up. Right, yeah, if they're going to show up consistently. <laughs> and then, for to, like, to do four hours a day, like, you got to put in your time and figure out, like, oh, crap, is, what the hell are we going to talk about on June 18th, you know, when nothing's going on? Do you think... Um, what do you think about former teammates like Travis Johnson? He does radio every yeah. once in a while. Do you ever catch him when he's on with Joel Blaine? Yeah, yeah. No, and I like, and that's what, it, what's fun is listening to other shows and just kind of figuring out. Just every show is different based on the interaction of the guests and the hosts. Yeah. And the fun, the, the fun thing about Travis is Travis just has no filter, yeah. you know. Like, and he's not worried at all about whether, like, he's not worried at all about whether something's going to piss anybody off or be on guard. But at the same time as he's doing it, like a lot of guys that are like that are just trying to get a rise out of people. Yeah. He's just... He just really doesn't care. Yeah, he's just saying it exactly how he sees it. And But in the midst of doing that, he makes some really good points. And like, I think sometimes the points get lost in the fact that that he's saying it in a really funny way or he's just saying it in a controversial way. But he just... You know, he's, he's like Darnell Dockett. He can kind of okay. say stuff mm-hmm. that... You're like, I feel like I should be offended by that, but there's right. something about him that's keeping me from doing that. Or so. John Granado. Yeah, Gr- yeah. <laughs> Granado, you just go ahead and get offended. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's I true. actually, I actually learned that he worked at East East Michigan or East Mississippi Community no, College. No, he uh, he recruited against them. He recruited against he recruits, them. He recruited against the Last Chance U school. Did you have you seen the the documentary Last Chance U? No, it's amazing. You gotta it's check good. it out. Is that where? Oh, he recruited against. He them recruited when he against that college. Yeah, okay. when he, it's uh, amazing. You gotta yeah. check it out. It's he's amazing. not a fan of the, of of the last coach. Or, no, he doesn't mind the. Well, he thinks it doesn't show that these. He thinks it shows them in a better light than they should, even with what happened at the end of the, that season. Um, he thinks it shows them like they actually really care about the kids in terms of getting them getting them to graduate. He didn't think that's a realistic representation of Uh, what they do. And he's not a fan of the coach. I think the coach, he and the coach had an interaction where he said something to one of the players Travis was recruiting about Travis and Travis wasn't fond of it. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Gotta check it out. Netflix. It's awesome. Now, it is after nine. I know you said you had to Uh, I'm going to stick around for a while. All right. Gotcha. This is when I'm talking too much. I feel bad. I got to be sure. (laughs) No. What's the thing that we don't know about David Carr that we should? Oh, okay. Uh, Did he get a fair shake? uh, I think he got a fair shake, but there's partly... Because he's come out and said that he's not, you know, he didn't understand exactly the commitment. And I I think we could see that when he was there because there were times where you just, you you realize like, okay, this guy's not putting in the hours the way other guys are that you know about, that you hear about. You you play to Mark Brunel. You've seen what what it takes for a guy who's successful to put and what work they put in. Yeah. And so there, but the whole thing was, it's not like he was a, it's not like he was a bad kid or anything. I think sometimes, sometimes I get the sense from some people that there's a little bit of revisionist history where like he was like a bad locker room guy or something. Right. Um, and that's, I never got that sense at all. I always really liked him personally. Um, and he, in practice, he would make these throws because he was an athletic kid. You know, he's kind of knock-kneed and awkward looking. Like mm-hmm. he was athletic. Right, right. And he, and he would make these throws on the run where you're like, oh my gosh, like that's a, that's a Pro Bowl caliber. That's an all-pro caliber throw. And he handled the pressure really, really well. Um, so that's the first thing that impressed me. His rookie season was, and you know what? Maybe that was maybe that was a byproduct of him not caring as much as he should. You know, you could sure. twist it into a negative yeah. easily. But he handled all that pressure really, really well. And it was it was shocking to me that he didn't figure it out over the course of three years. But that also might have been because he was getting bludgeoned upside the head. That's he true. he hurt himself. Like he held onto the ball too long. He didn't. 
he didn't help himself with the offensive lineman because he took sacks that didn't need to be sacks. Right, you right. Know? Just run out of bounds. Yeah, and, yep. so there's all that. But again, when you go in and you're a rookie quarterback and you've got six rookies starting on offense, I don't know exactly what they were going to do with that. Like, I don't know if Who was Chris the backup Palmer, quarterback? What's that? Who was the backup quarterback? It was Tony Banks. Yeah, That's and, right. Um, let's see, Sage didn't come until later. later it was uh, yeah, Shane, not Shane Graham. Is it Shane Graham? Is that his Shane. name? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. No, Shane Graham's no. kicker was no, it. No, not was Shane Graham. Kit Graham? Was, was it Kit Graham? Kit Graham. Kit Graham. Thank you. Shane Graham's yeah. the wow. kicker. Yeah. Kit wow. Yeah. Sorry, Kent. The encyclopedia over here. <laughs> no, I know Shane Graham because he's a fucking kicker. Yeah, for, yeah for, certainly not Shane Graham. <laughs> he kicked for Virginia Tech, and I hate Virginia Tech, so I knew it was Shane Graham. Um, Now, people, different people have different numbers for when they they say, well, if this quarterback doesn't have it, how many, however many starts in their mind it takes, how quickly does a locker room know that the court, the quarterback they have leading them is the wrong guy. Oh boy, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, and I just, I was always the eternal optimist too when I was playing. Like again, I was talking myself into David Carr right up through the, the fourth year. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, and then when Kubiak came in, what his fifth year? Yeah, yeah. And he had that uptick, and all of sure. a sudden you're like, oh, and Andre's like, oh, he's really, he's really getting the ball to Andre. Um, but obviously Gary didn't feel that way. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. When we, the closest thing I could equate it to was, because I always had Brunel in Jacksonville, but Rob Johnson came in and had one mm-hmm. game and earned himself that huge contract in Buffalo. Yep. I don't know if I could tell you that. Yeah, sorry, man. It's all right. I mean, because some people think, well, I'll give him two seasons, or if he's not great, if he hasn't turned the corner by 40 or 32 t- starts, yeah. he's done. I don't know what the number is. I'm trying to put myself, I'll, if I put myself in that situation with Tom Savage, I think for one, the biggest thing, and especially it's more so now than it was even 10 years ago, is that you've got to be, you've just got to be a football nerd. You yeah. know, like you've just, that's where the game has progressed. And Elway's talked about this, about just how different the game is mentally from when he played. And he was playing in the late 90s. Sure. Um, you just, I don't think you can get away, unless you're a freak, freak athlete, you can't get away with just having a complete gunslinger. Like, I'm going to show, I'm going to be the Joe Namath that just parties and has a good time and yeah. takes it casually. Like, you've got to have that work ethic. So I think that's probably the first thing that, that a team would see is like, okay, does this guy, does this guy look like he's doing the things that I hear that Peyton Manning does? And it's got to be Tom different. Savage seems to be that guy. It's got to be different in y'all situation because, like you said, they just threw guys together yeah. and started a team and y'all are an expansion. So, there may be a natural sense of, well, we're giving this QB a little longer leash because we're all new here. Yeah. As opposed to now where you're looking at the defense and they're they're playing their guts out trying to keep you in games and they have to go to the sideline and watch Brock Osweiler throw the football. Right. And it's like like I could totally see somebody on this defense like, like I I believe lead. yes, I believe in my heart somebody in the defense has said something to somebody on the offense about Y'all need to get y'all shit together. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I, Gallant said the other day that when he goes into the locker room now, it looks like it seems like I can't remember which position group he said it was. It was somebody on the defense. They just kind of sit in the corner. They look angry. <laughs> <laughs> they just, uh, they're all sitting together and they just look angry. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's like, oh, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just coincidence. But it, that's what it looks like. To what me. is the pressure like for a defense? Well, I guess even an offense, if it was the other way around, to know that. If you don't do – if you don't hold your team, if you're the defense, if you don't hold the opposing team to under 21 points, you're right. probably not winning. What type of pressure is that going into a football think, game? Or do they, do they even think about that I stuff? Think, well, no, you think about it, and I think there's a certain kind of pride. Um, I, it's hard because the best defense I ever was on was in 1999 when 
You know what? Okay. In 1999 with the Jaguars, we had a really good offense and a really good defense. So that was kind of easy and simple. We never realized – if anything, it was it was really easy on defense because we'd have a bunch of three and outs, and then the offense would have a bunch of, you know, clock, Nine, 10, 11 drives, play drives, yeah. And we'd come out of games having played like 35 snaps, so yeah. it was easy. Um, that first year with the Texans, that Pittsburgh game that we talked about, it almost got to a point in that game because I think we ended up taking 90 snaps. And the offense had 47 yards of offense. We were out there forever. And I think personally and like with a few of us on the sidelines, it almost got to that point where you were angry, but it was like, yeah, all right, bring it on. That's fine. You know what? Yeah, we're going to win. Yeah, Aaron Glenn's going to win this game for us. Like, screw it. And I think, and that's how we had, that was our attitude kind of the whole year. It wasn't anger all the time, but you knew that the offense was going to struggle. You knew you had a bunch right. of young guys on offense. So if you're going to compete in games, we're going to go out and do it. So there's a there's a certain kind of pride in that. You're like, yeah. I guess probably like kind of how the, the – no offense to you guys, because Army and – Air Force. No, Air Force. Yeah. he's just a Cowboys jacket. Oh, oh okay. Not, he oh, wasn't okay. in the service. Oh, all right, okay. That's the yeah, Cowboys. But you know how the Marines feel about it. Yeah, like absolutely. they're going to do more with less. Right. You know, so like that kind of pride of like – you get that sense. Of like, all right, yeah. you know what? Yeah, we don't need an offense. We're going to go out and do it ourselves. Right. right. And it's – hey, listen – all season long, I mean, one of the things that bugs me most about Bill O'Brien is, a, have they ever, have they gotten in it? They, they what they've won nine games this season. Is there one game where they've been in victory formation? I can't remember. Well, one. they should have been. It was the game where right. they ran right. Right. Jacksonville <laughs> when they ran yeah. the they ball. ran the ball twice they for whatever reason. Right. They could have yeah. yield it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, they didn't win really, victory because he did the dumbest thing any coach has ever he did done. Right. in the playbook. And it was with Lamar Miller. <laughs> so, maybe, maybe, maybe they've never practiced victory formation. Was a, you know what? I would have respected it if that's yeah, what if he got up and hey said. Hey, man, we're never in games like right. that. Never practice it. Sorry, we can't do it. It, it, yeah. amazes me, it amazes me how each and every one of the nine victories that we've had, the defense has had to win the game at the end of the game. Yeah. They've had to make a play. They've had to make a stop. Or yeah. or it's been, well, we got to get a first down here. It's never been like, well, we can just kill the clock here and get right. out of here. There's always been this, well, we really need a first down. We really need a first down <laughs> right. in this game. It's always been that type of game. Well, that's where – I guess and that's when you talked earlier about kind of your frustration with O'Brien's frustration. It's – it's like don't try to don't try to pull the wool over our eyes with right. this nine and seven blanket. Like you guys have one of the worst point differentials of a winning team ever, of a playoff team ever in the NFL. Right. You've scored fewer touchdowns yeah. than any team ever that's made the playoffs in the NFL. Like you've done all these things where it's just, it's just such a freak aberration that you're in the playoffs and that you're probably going to win a playoff game too, right. <laughs> which is just somehow makes it even. Look. Yeah, but I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that game, but I'm disgusted with the process. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I completely agree. I don't know what would have happened if Randy Bullock had made that kick because because who knows how they approach they approach the game differently in Tennessee. So who knows? They might have won the game anyway. But I do find it weird that the fact that Randy Bullock missed a kick is the difference between this team in the playoffs at and, home at home and not in the playoffs. Right. That's how close you are possibly to not making the playoffs with Matt Castle as a Tennessee quarterback. I, like I said, I don't know what have happened, how they would approach it. Lamar Miller probably would have played mm-hmm. and other, other guys probably would have played, but that's no guarantee of victory on the road at Tennessee. I just, look, no coach has to apologize for a victory. You won, you won nine games that gets you in the playoffs. But like I said, I'm sure in those thousands of minutes, there's been humility and I'm sure of it, but the times when there's not, it's like, come on, man, what are you, what are you doing here? We all know the deal. <laughs> you are fortunate. Maybe you don't have to act like you're fortunate, but don't act like you don't act like you accomplished anything. At least, you got to do it for your team, but don't try to fool us, can you, like you said. Can you put it in perspective? 
to only score 25 touchdowns in a 16 game season. Yeah. Like how um okay, first of all, they were 6 and 2 and they didn't have a rushing touchdown. Right? 6 and 3. Or they were 5 and 2. Or they did they get the 6 and 3. They got the 6. That was their without their rushing touchdown. That was the halfway point. That was wasn't? their high water mark. Was it 6 and 2 or 6, six and 3? 6, six and, and 3. Yeah. 6 and 3 before they had a that rushing touchdown. That was when they were right? like the worst 6 and 3 yeah. teams. Yeah. It was right before the bye. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Right before the bye. And then they only scored a total of 25 to Can you just talk about how like amazing, like either crazy or just how just unlikely that is. Yeah, how, right. I know. I know that's it's hard to kind of. And again, that's why you feel so weird about this team because we talk about complimentary football. That's that's the thing now. Everyone talks yeah. about. It. Have you ever had has the worst defense? Has the best defense in football ever been paired with the worst defense, a worst offense in football? Right, has it ever occurred? Because even was Baltimore the worst offense in football? No, no they, they had a run game. That Jamal like Lewis, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, that's, sometimes Dilfer, like that story gets told so much that it sounds like Dilfer was the worst quarterback who ever played. Right. Like, no. He was competent. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't pretty good. Even, the, even the Bucks. Yeah. Even, yeah. The, yeah. even the Bucks they when they Brad beat the Johnson. Raiders. They, they had Brad Johnson. Yeah. They had, put up you know, some points. I'm war tr- done. I'm trying to think if the worst offense has ever been paired with the best defense. Right. And the, it and certainly so, hasn't ever it, made the playoffs. Maybe the Saints. But here, I think what O'Brien does, and probably something he learned from Belichick, is I think he does a pretty good job of getting them to circle the wagons. And kind of feeling like the outsiders are all the, you know, I remember right. Genevion came. Everyone's against us. Yeah, Genevion was singing about all the haters when he came into the press conference and everything. And he was doing it like in a fun Genevion way. Right. It wasn't like in a, it wasn't like in a combative way. But you get the sense that, you get the sense that he's feeding them a lot of Kool-Aid. And that yeah. Kool-Aid is, is getting them to be like, yeah, all the, like this team's got, this, and this is what you need to do as a coach. You convince them that they're winning the close games because because they're tight as a team because they do all these things and you give them a whole bunch of propaganda right. and try to get them to forget that the offense is just horrid because <laughs> they have now and I think if I'm a coach like if I'm putting myself in that position I'm trying to emphasize okay you know what time of possession is actually pretty good like if you're a defense all right it, at least the offense has been able to hold onto the ball for stretches right. of time. And you've actually somehow, and that's another weird stat. Yeah. When when is the one of the worst offenses had an advantage of time of possession? For all the talk we talk, well, they always run on second and ten. Well, it does take time off the clock. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. worst yeah. offense in the history ever top ever to be in top five in rushing in the league or top ten. Let's just say top ten because aren't they like in the top ten in rushing? Yeah, yeah. I don't. Know. I mean, There's is a that lot something? Of weird they're numbers. No, they're number that, eight. Just, that Elias would have to get into it. I right. mean, Elias could do a whole do a whole book on what the Texans have done this year and figure out how this, how everything's occurring. I mean, it's a freak show, not necessarily the team, but the fact that all this has gone on and they make the playoffs, even if you exclude how bad the AFC South is, all this stuff has gone on and they still make the playoffs. It's, it's freakish. And I'm not sure how do you, like how they you need to make a 30 it. for 30 about it. This right. Season. Yeah. The, well, especially if they somehow, yeah, but nobody would they make the Super Bowl. Oh uh, my God. Uh, even a push into it. And like, and somehow frame it. Like they were the lovable scrappy yeah. bunch and everything. I'm like, no, no, we hated them. They were, <laughs> they were Texas's team. The Texans. Look, they, you know, and like they played they, America's team in the Super Bowl. And you wish. Don't, don't put that on us. You wish for that. Yeah. No, I don't. What they would do though, too, is they paint it. Like, remember that, ad that was playing last year on all the stations with like the 
hey, we're in Texas, and there's banjo music and yeah. everything. We're like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> they, the, they make it as, as backwoods as possible. That's a question for you. The first time you heard, it's football time in Houston. <laughs> How, did How did you, you feel? feel? I, feel like I, I feel like that's always been with me. <laughs> I'm like in my womb now at this point. It's the fabric of my life. God, that's the worst. I mean, was that there the first year? Was football time? I think it was. Did he perform that, that was, opening yeah, night? That's yeah, he performed night. it. He yeah. performed opening night. Yeah. Uh, I remember Gary, Gary Walker. He's not a fan of that song. And really? Gary, well, Gary, yeah, Gary was always clamoring for better music in the, uh, but Gary would do his like, and football time in Houston. <laughs> well, Seth, this, the, that song, they play the same song for the kickoff. Yeah. The intro, the video board intro before the opening kickoff is exactly the same. Uh, is it? It's, same it's the, the only whole, thing, uh, the only thing it's changed yeah. is that the cows now turn into a robot. That's it. Like the oh, it wasn't mechanical always a bulls. Robot, was he? No, he wasn't always a robot. Now okay. he how far behind are the Texans when it comes to just entertainment value? Entertainment, yeah, that's a good question. Because it was especially because it's hard because you compare it to the Cowboys and the Cowboys are like the vanguard of it. Like the yeah. Cowboys have like a, a bona fide star out there singing the national anthem every game. Do they yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. You say either someone's singing or someone coming and playing trumpet. They'll, yeah. they'll have. I mean, Jerry's an entertainer. Right, right. I mean, right. He yeah. built a palace for entertainment. Yeah, I don't know. That's a, they've got a kind of a they definitely have a blue collar feel to it. I'd have a hard time. Like, why does the announcer the still feel the need to tell the crowd? Okay, when I announce the player's first name, you guys shout his last name. When he doesn't line up, I'm like, bro, you started this in 2002. Why do we need an explanation people, in game seven of he, the 2016 season? Because nobody's in their seats to what do it. What is going on <laughs> here? The 20 people that are there at the beginning of the at the beginning of the game. How do you guys feel about before the um, the Christmas Eve game? Yeah. I felt with yeah, those Bengals, right? Yeah, yeah, Bengals. the Bengals. I felt how many people actually showed up to that, and they did it for the Sunday night Colts game too. Was it? Uh, but how many people were at that game? Was it? It, it was seemed sold like, out. I didn't it see like it. It was sold out. You were there, seemed, right? It seemed like Your it was pretty Manny, full. My mom and dad went. Oh, we were in Mississippi. Because okay. I remember sitting. We do the pregame show in the South uh, Bud Light Plaza there, and I remember feeling like, man, there's a different energy tonight. Like people are kind of amped up for this, and then, but then I talked to people that said that the tailgating area was just dead. And I was curious to see how many people actually showed up because it felt like there was a like a really cool energy in the building, but I didn't know. I, it's hard sitting in the press box; you don't necessarily get. A my parents, my parents went because we were out of town, but yeah, they said it was it was it was packed. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's for whatever reason, I guess because people had parties and everything, the tailgate yeah. wasn't as good. That's I, a weird night to have a football game. I'm, I'm surprised they just didn't move them all up. Actually, I loved it. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. And if I wouldn't have gone out of town, I would have went to the game. Yeah. Yeah. We always do our Christmas on Christmas Eve, so I was with family. You give all the you, all the presents. Yeah, we we do that with all the kiddos and all that stuff. But we've always done that. I wish I I wish I I mean, I had to watch the game in Mississippi, and I couldn't believe Randy Bullock missed that kick. I was embarrassed, Seth. I was embarrassed sitting next to my father in law, who lives in the heart of SEC land, uh-huh. right? Who is a, just the biggest Peyton Manning fan. Right. So is he a Tennessee fan or a Miss State or old? Uh, you know, he's a Mississippi State fan. Okay. Yeah, he's a Miss. They they only live like an hour and a half from Starkville. Okay. Um, which is beautiful. If you've never ever been to Starkville, that place is awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. Starkville. Um, and I like I was embarrassed. Like holy shit. <laughs> he looked. I mean, at one time, at one point, he looked at me and he goes, "Y'all have season tickets?" <laughs> I said, "Yeah, we we picked them how up many, this season." How many Texans games do you think he's watched all the way through? Um, he watches them when they're on. Okay. I mean, he watches them when they're on. Um, 
because watching you, I think you tweeted out. It's maybe one of the best tweets I've seen. Like you said, you've gone to how many games? This yeah, I've been to eight, and they've gone six and two. Yeah, and what did you say after every game? After no every what? single game, me and Angela would look at each other walking in the car and go. That sucked. <laughs> right. Oh my god, that it's was a horrible. Hard, it's a hard watch. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah, it's, they're just uh, boring. Yeah. It's just boring. I tell you what, the, every every game this season, at halftime, there was the crowd was out of it. Mm-hmm. It was like, and a lot of those people left at halftime and went and tailgated because uh-huh. that was going to be more entertaining. Yeah, and, that, and the one thing, and again, yeah since turnovers come in bunches, the thing that's been a bit of a disappointment, like I hate to say anything about the defense has been a disappointment this right, season. Right. It's, I mean, especially after losing Kevin Johnson and JJ Watt, but to be that good and not cause more turnovers, that's the one thing that could have, because then it makes sense. Then, okay, you know what? Then, then you feel like, all right, not only are we winning, I feel like we could knock off, like in some weird circumstance, we could knock off a giant. Yeah, right. you know? if they were Alabama defense returning things for touchdowns. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. or like even like the 2012 defense, yeah. where you're just swatting yeah. balls and, and tips for interceptions or tips for return touchdowns and everything. You don't see a lot of, I mean, you don't see a lot of fundamentally sound defenses doing what they're doing. Like the Texans... I don't want to say they're just always in the right place, but they have a knack for making plays. But it isn't the spectacular. It isn't right. like it isn't like we're we're gonna we're gonna win this game on a pick six or call the fumble to end it. It just seems like they get the stops that they need against the teams that they need to get to them. You're like, eh, I guess we won another game. They guess, have a. Yeah. That's how it amazing, was. But it's like, amazing what you can do with a tackling secondary. That's true. And they, that's what the they Seahawks do get guys on the ground. Yeah. Years. Like, but the and the biggest and this is where you miss JJ Watt is if. If you had a really legitimate pass rush attached to it, then all of a sudden that's where the turnovers start coming because right, then the yeah. ball's coming out that much faster and everything. So like right now, yeah, they've done a great job of of playing sound. Like it's kind of like the Cowboys are doing this year. They play really sound, bend but don't break defense, right. and they get off the field. Uh, but in, in the Cowboys, they don't need to generate a bunch of big plays because the they Texans, get the running game. Yeah, the Texans they sure could yeah. use some. Well, that's the big difference between this year and last year with that team. They only won four games last year, but they weren't running the ball as effectively as they are now. Yeah. They keep the defense off the field. In my opinion, Rod Marinelli should be up for some kind of coach of the year because what he has done with just picking up – he's done what Belichick has done with the New England offense. He'll pick up some guy off a practice squad like Ash. He yeah, picked up dude. Ash off the freaking Jaguars <laughs> practice squad. Guy makes four tackles in the last game. I mean, yeah. I don't even know what the hell an Ash is, but he's running to the ball. But I'll always, I'll always say this. I'll always say this. When you can run the ball effectively – when you can move the chains, when you control time of possession, your below average defense like the Cowboys have, they're going to look above average. At least talent wise, they're below average. Yeah, yeah I mean, if you look, they're going to look above average yeah. if they play if they play just with any sense of discipline or anything, which and, they're and, doing. And right? that's what Marinelli's brought. Yeah. You run to the ball in every damn play. Yeah, and he doesn't have like a starting defense. They do an eight man rotation. Yeah, and and that's the yeah, way they they've done really it. Really fresh and really energetic all yeah. the time. Yeah. If I gave you a million dollars to bet right now, okay, and you had to bet on yes or no, okay, if you had to bet on yes or no, okay, will Ezekiel Elliott pass Emmitt Smith in yards? Oh, total for a career? Yeah. That's interesting. The NFL's Mm. changed so much. I'd say no. How many years did Emmitt play? I think I'd agree. Emmitt played 13? I'd say by year eight, they bring in. Well, plus, who knows even, man. Nobody even wants to go yeah, who, uh, running back a second yeah, contract. Who's going to pay him so a second good. contract? Man, but that guy is. I know, but it, it, that's what, yeah, I'm not saying you can't do it. Because obviously, like, okay, Marshawn Lynch, second contract worked out. Or whatever it was with Seattle with him. Um, and, and Frank Gore, whomever else. 
He that reminds me. I would say it's a more. It's less likely because even if he, even if he, they keep him for ten years, they're gonna do like a, a Fred Taylor, Maurice Jones, Drew, where in well, years seven or eight they bring 14. in a younger guy to split carries with him. And it, it, he reminds me of Emmett in how he finds holes. Yeah. Then he reminds me of Maurice Jones, Drew when he gets to the second level. Yeah. And then he reminds me of, I mean, Chris Johnson the way he just pulls away from everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, this guy is amazing. He's fantastic. I said he was going to be Trent Richardson 2.0 on draft night. Half of that was messing with Dustin, and half of that was being serious. <laughs> you know, like I was almost a little but bit no, serious. You know, Trent, Richard, Trent Richardson like did a lot of damage to like the notion of taking a running back. Right, he did. High yeah. in the he draft. did. Yeah, yeah. And it just, and you see, the pendulum always swings back. It's every t- everybody went so pass heavy for so long, and defenses yeah. got light in the ass, and now all of a sudden, teams with big offensive lines and big running backs are just whooping yeah, up on as people. much as we well talk that's about the t- key to Dak and Zeke I mean they're both good Dak is okay Zeke is great but without that line yeah because Zeke doesn't always open holes up yeah but that line just it's like a curtain just here you go yeah well, I just hope at, I mean look both those backs like DeMarco Murray and you saw what he did in Dallas but then DeMarco Murray and and um and Derrick Henry. Derek Henry yeah those two guys, like, they're flawed in ways, too. And Derrick Henry is, but behind the right offensive line Absolutely. and in the right scheme, like, in an old-school scheme, they can do some pretty cool things. Murray, I think, was third in rushing again this year. I mean, you're, you're seeing – and you play with injury. I mean, yeah. if you put DeMarco Murray in the right – behind the right line, that dude's still a powerhouse. That's why yeah, I thought I Tennessee would be good this year. And I say they're flawed. Like, okay, they're flawed by – one standard, right? Like in, right, 19, right. in 1993, nobody would have thought they were flawed, but by, like today's standards in certain offenses, I just, I just hope one day it clicks for the Texans and whoever's pulling the strings on these drafts, like it did for the Cowboys, because finally the Cowboys said, "Well, we need to get better up front." Yeah, Tony's getting killed because we're not as good up front, and then they devoted their, you know, they devoted very high draft picks to their offensive line, and look at what it's doing now. Well, but it, in every other team's defense too first of all some of that was luck because that wasn't the original plan that was the second person on their board and you know the person beforehand that was going to be the pick yeah someone else picked them so they went to the line but also second of all i mean everybody killed them for taking offensive line for all three years i mean the, the, but they it did takes it. some patience but they was did that, it it takes some patience it does do take it. it yeah well and you, but the other thing too is and now they didn't take them in the first round but it also helps if your xavier sofila works out you know, yeah, yeah, which is exactly. the equivalent of a first yeah. round pick if you're taking a guard with a you know that high in the second round. Why, why the Texans didn't bring in Lyle Collins? I will never. Oh, we know why. Under well, well you know yeah. what? The, the, whole, the, whole league, the whole league did it. Yeah, yeah. Like but, I said on draft day, I said, listen, this guy. Everybody was so damn scared that, and he was I said, cleared. I said, you never have to sign this guy. Right. Like you don't know what's going on. Take him in the third round. You never. He never has to be a Texan. Right. Yeah. He, yeah, no, I'm but, sorry. Kai. No, but to his, to your point, you're right. But to his point, there was no shot. No, no shot. None no shot of that or the Texans as an organization taking the shot because, like, it turns out nothing. He didn't. He was cleared. He didn't do anything wrong. But the Texans don't even want that stink. No, on them. The, yeah. the very fact that they could be on CNN where where who where Anderson <laughs> Cooper's talking about the fact that they took a a an alleged. He wasn't even alleged, by the way. A suspected or man, what what was the term they use? They use like I forgot they use a, they use a term to describe what the what person the, of interest, person yeah, of interest, a person yeah. of interest in a murder investigation, a yeah. double murder because the woman was pregnant. 
they don't want their name attached to that. There right. was no shot of it happening. Yeah, and, and no team in the league did. Yeah, no yeah. team. You know? Well, there's yeah. two. There's two. The Jacksonville. Dolphins. Well, the, Dolph- the Dolph- Dolphins. The Dolphins <laughs> wanted him, and he's an LSU guy. And the Dolphins happen to have a lot of LSU guys on their roster, so they sent yeah. a private plane with a bunch of LSU guys to talk to him. He eventually chose the Cowboys, which mm-hmm. was not. And I and I can I get it. Joe Philbin was our coach. Um, at the time, <laughs> I understand it completely. Um, and like like you said, the Dolphins have invested in the offensive line. They had the not that Laramie Tunsil was a an accused or a person of interest in a murder, but all that crap that happened to him yeah. leading up to the draft. That's the only reason they were able to get him. Right. And they ha- and what I think they the Pouncey's always hurt, but they've got him, James on at right tackle, Albert at left tackle. They paid for in free agency, and then and then Tunsil. That's four former first round picks on their own line, and all of a sudden Jai is a revelation. Uh, right. Revelation. 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 Um, so, yeah, off the line, obviously a big deal. And we'll see what the, the Texans – the Texans have to go there, I assume, well, at some point. And there's there's always that extreme – like, whenever you're at the extreme end of the bell curve on something, you have to ask, like, okay, is this justified or not, or is, are we taking it too far? So the Texans, who are at the extreme lower end of the spread and number of arrests, like <laughs> – and it's a weird thing to sit yeah. here and say, but I'm like – Nobody gets arrested on this team ever, right? Like, ever, and they're the, they've been the lowest in the league for a long time. Which is like, I'm not asking that guys go out there and commit crimes, but your bar, your bar for what kind of character risk you're taking is obviously extremely low. Right. And what percent is like over time from year to year? How many guys are you losing out on who might never go on to commit a crime? Hopefully, sure. But, but that you just don't even look at. And versus a team like and you know. That, the lots Cowboys. of teams. Lots of teams don't take any domestic violence people, but yeah. those teams still right. take more character risks. Yeah. Like right. they don't. Like there are there are guys on those rosters that are productive football players that the Texans just wouldn't look at. Right. So yeah, there's a there's a certain part of me that wants some Texans to go out and get into some trouble. I remember when Dallas drafted Dez, I was pissed. Yeah. Because all you heard about him in college was the trouble and all that, and you're thinking, here goes Jerry once again. Now you find out that's overblown. I wonder if the Texans would Isn't have it, ever I think even he hit considered. his mom, Dustin. Is it overblown? Des didn't hit his mom. Didn't he hit his mom? Or a big uh, argument or something. There was no. an argument. I don't remember. There was an argument, but he never hit his mom. He's a cowboy. I'm going to say he hit her. Yeah, I know. Well, no, you know what you're thinking of is uh, <laughs> you're thinking of Tyron. Tyron Smith had uh, an incident with his mother. But Tyron Smith's mother family sounds like. Yeah. yeah, she went at him with like a weapon or something like yeah, that. It was like, one of those that, whoa. Tyron Smith very much sounded like the victim with any exchange yeah. with his family. Like they were just trying to take advantage of him any yeah. way they could. Yeah, he's a, he's a good dude. Yeah. He's a, Dude, that dude, he scares me. That dude looks like he looks like a he looks like a pro wrestler, man. He's a freaking yeah. tank. He's gotten leaner, hasn't he? He's gotten a little bit leaner. I don't. I was looking at him this year, and I don't remember recall seeing him as physically impressive. Like he just looks more just he looks more like a pro wrestler than he ever has. Which offense scared you the most when you were playing? Uh, the, I don't know about scared. That's probably a strong word. The the Ravens for a long time were just every time you played them, you knew it was going to be physical. Yeah. Like yeah. it was because they had they were just loaded across the board because they had Orlando Brown. Right. They had Jonathan Ogden. It wasn't like Jonathan Ogden was a mauler or anything, but he was just big. Yeah. Um, they had Will Blackshear. They had a couple other guys that they were just the biggest offensive line in football, and they played smash mouth football. So it was kind of fun. Because you knew going into it, I was like, all right, I'm in for like a, this is going to be a, this Old is going to be, yeah, a slugfest. Yeah. And it was like, it was testing your manhood. Yeah. So that was really cool. I used to look, and that was for the longest time too. 
they were on the brink of being a good team. Like yeah. it seemed like year after year after year, it looked like they were like they might be six and ten or seven and nine, but it seemed like they were just right on the brink of turning. And then right. when they won the Super Bowl, and, obviously. And before we go, Dez did get an altercation. It was ha, his, told it, you it was his uncle and him, and then his mom. Right, I knew the apparently uncle. stepped in, and then his mom blamed. And then she said, oh, "You better stop. You're gonna get in trouble with the Cowboys." It's an odd way to go about it. Um, Jarrah's going to come gonna down lose here. that contract. But she claims he only got angrier and turned the rage on her. Now, the, the charges were dropped, so no, nothing really came of it. But she that that is a thing from a couple years ago. Him and ago. his uncle always had. Yeah. There was some bad yeah. bad stuff going there. Really? Who's the player you most respect? Before we go, player you most respect in the NFL today? Oh, oh boy. Oh, boy. That's got to be Drew Brees, right? Um, <laughs> why would it be Drew Brees? Because he's a great guy. <laughs> I don't know. I just randomly. I don't want to give you a standard so one. That's a really good question. Throw out a position group. What should I? Um, if I were offensive if I, line. If I were going to offensive line, oh dang, this is a really good question. Let me think off the. I, I don't want to go with the Texans because that's too obvious. I don't want to go with Eli Manning. <laughs> um, if I were to go to yeah, boy, okay, I'm going to go obvious. Nah, I gotta say Tom Brady. I really, I honestly, the, because the thing that the thing that it's hard to argue. Me, the thing that impressed me about Tom Brady is the same thing I heard from Larry Bird once, uh, and it was the advice Larry Bird gives everybody. It's that the truly great players in the NBA are always trying to improve, no matter mm-hmm. who they are, how good they are. You know, yeah. Kobe till the day he finally let it go was trying to improve. And I think when I watch that video of Tom, whenever I watch any of these videos of Tom Brady working in the offseason on his throwing mechanics, this is what drives me crazy. This is why I respect Tom Brady. Because I'm watching Matt Schaub, however many years into the NFL, not stepping towards his target, not just having awful horrid mechanics. And I watch any of these quarterbacks that have awful mechanics, you know, going out of their 6th, 7th, 8th year in the NFL, and some of them, you know, like Stafford's got like a weird, like okay, like those guys. If you've got a free, like Rivers, it doesn't bother me because right. Rivers just his emotion is what it is. Right. But I'm watching these guys that are such imperfect quarterbacks. And I'm like, why are you not looking? Like, do you see what Tom Brady does every single year? Like, he's trying to adjust his index finger one centimeter. <laughs> like that's how much he's refined it, and he continues to get better. And I just know how, and I and I've seen too. And this is something that Coughlin used to preach: the hardest thing in the world is to stay motivated and driven when you're at the top. Like, after a victory, yeah, you know, yeah. that's why coaches get so paranoid after a victory, when you're on a winning streak, and, and then particularly when you've won a bunch of Super Bowls and you're married to a supermodel and you're yep. worth over $100 yep. million. Dollars, to stay motivated and as driven as he is at his age, like, that's – I don't know how people do it. Yeah, I think I don't, there's one explanation. He's a fucking psychopath. He's a, that's, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That's what he I – mean, I mean, I say that jokingly, but what else could – I mean, there are a lot of great players who 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 are motivated. But what else could there be for that guy? For the normal human being, I would like to think if I ever was the top of my field or anything, I'm like, yeah, I would keep on trying as hard. But I probably wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. but if you're I, a billionaire at, owner, at, you still yeah, want to make more billions. Yeah, at, I get it, but he but he's what 39, and he's yeah. better than he was when he was 29. Yeah, he's yeah. better. He's a, he's a yeah. he's a psych a psychopath in the nicest zero. way I could say it. That's yeah. that's the drive. That you have to have that DNA. I mean, how how long for how long have we heard people talk about it? You have to have that DNA. Right. You have to have that killer instinct. You have to have it. And it's that and it's that balance though too, because like whatever, there's some kind of insecurity there too, like that drives you like to have to try to achieve or like. Right. And those those people are so fascinating to me because it's 
like a supreme confidence yeah. in one aspect combined with whatever little insecurity that is or whatever drive or need it is to impress whoever you're trying to impress. Yeah. And like, how do people like that balance it out? And I think Dell's right. You're a psychopath. Yeah. Because <laughs> do, you, do you believe that the fact that he was, they did that special, all the, I don't know, the Brady, whatever, they got the quarterbacks who were picked in front of him. At 39 years old, four Super Bowl championships, does you believe that draft still drives him in somewhere? Or is this, it's got to be something else, right? It can't be the fact that Giovanni Carmazzi got picked up front of him <laughs> by his hometown 49ers. I don't know. You know what? There used to be, like, every now and then when I was playing, there'd be some – I'd hear some – like, some kid would, like – every now and then somebody would – like send me something on Facebook or something to like remind me that they beat me in wrestling when I was a sophomore, and I would actually like it would bother me. Okay, maybe like, I'd really be like, I'd be like, this motherfucker. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the fact that it's maybe the fact that Mariucci valued Carmazzi in front of him still pisses him off because he didn't go, go to his hometown 49ers. I don't know what he is. He's just fucking nuts, is what he I is. I think those guys great. are really good at figuring out, like, and they know that it's a creation, but they know it. they're good at putting chips on their shoulder. Yeah, like there's yeah. always gonna like JJ. JJ's always gonna have a chip on his shoulder. Like yeah. JJ, like you know, we like we laugh about it when JJ gets up and talks about how like somebody doubted him or something. Because at this point, you're like, what, what the hell are you talking about, JJ? Like right. nobody's doubting yeah. him. By the way, you're a top ten pick. Was it eleven? What was he picked eleven? Yeah, in the draft? yeah. You're a top fifteen pick in the NFL. Not that many people were doubting you. <laughs> or Not well, that Durant, many. like Durant, when he was yeah. talking about like nobody believed in me. Well, you're the were... second pick overall. <laughs> right. <laughs> you got a scholarship. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> Texas loved you. You're the second pick overall. People were bashing who at the time. Portland for taking Odin over you. Yeah. Calm down. Maybe it's because he got picked by the Texans. He thought everybody else thought he sucked. <laughs> I don't but know. that's what they just like, you know what? Like I think in the back of their mind they know that it's yeah. kind of. But yeah. They're, yeah. they're putting that chip on their shoulder. And my, yeah. Yeah. my favorite my favorite tweet about this subject actually happened a couple days ago. A Miami football recruit said, "I don't have a chip on my shoulder. I actually have a whole potato on my shoulder now." I was like. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, calm down. But it settle just down. Settle down. But it was Easy. pretty funny. Easy though. You're you're for, you're a borderline four star recruit, and you're going to a, a D one school. Chill out. What was what was Manziel's line? I'm going to turn that chip in my shoulder from a Frito to a burrito or whatever it was. What I was don't it? know. It was a bottle of vodka. <laughs> Seth Payne. You can hear him. Mad Radio six to ten Monday through Friday. He and Mike Meltzer also do the pregame for Texans. Oh, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully you have, let me see, one, two, three, How many more games? four more pregames to do. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm, uh, we're, we're well on our way. Yeah. I feel like uh, now, now I'm all pessimistic again. I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll be fine at 6 a.m. I'm talking. I'm living in a world of delusion where I'm talking to myself into caring about each one of these games. <laughs> and thank you, Lamont, for yeah, getting Lamont. Seth on board tonight. Oh, yeah. Pretty yeah awesome. You guys kind of like just uh, you soon. Not you guys, out. him. <laughs> he tweeted out, and I was like, really? He's coming on? Yeah, I appreciate it. No, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I talk too much. Uh, that was, no, this no, is perfect. This was great. All right, cool. This Thanks, is perfect. I will cool. say this. I am not going to reveal the individual who texted me during the show, but there was an individual in Sports Talk Radio who is absolutely amazed at your at how you were tonight on this podcast outside of 610. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think I've been like, I wonder if he listens to me on 610. Yeah. Probably he, Mike Meltzer. Yeah, yeah he, he listens. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Okay. Not he's not saying that you're bad on sixteen and you're yeah. great here. It was just this is a different Seth Payne we saw tonight. Oh, okay. It's a different okay. format. Yeah. All right, good, good. We don't have you in fifteen minute blocks it. like Mike has you, you know. <laughs> Segment process. And you said Richard Lord didn't listen to this podcast. Uh, right. <laughs> he doesn't he have definitely my number. Does not. <laughs> no chance. But uh, that'll close it out. TrueFanView.com is the name of the website. If you go to From the Nosebleeds, at least type that in on iTunes. You can find us there. Seth Payne. 
uh, podcast. If you haven't, if you didn't hear all of it, we'll be up what within the hour. Yeah, so it'll be up. It'll be up shortly. pretty quickly. Uh, we appreciate it. So uh, he's got a show to do at six. I have one at nine, so I'm bet I'm winning this one at least. Uh, Dustin, Manny, Seth, I'm Dell. Uh, we'll talk to you Friday, Tuesday. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. We appreciate Tuesday. you. See ya. I know how this ends, but I'm Gone.